This episode of the MGMA podcast is brought to you by Walmart Business. It's the Walmart you love, now for business. Get everything you need for your staff and patients in one place. Enjoy big savings on health and safety products, cleaning supplies, over-the-counter medications, and much more. And don't forget the break room snacks. Create a free account today and start shopping at business.walmart.com. That's business.walmart.com. From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. We try to optimize where patients and providers interact um, as, as one way, and then also understand how uh, providers interact as a team themselves um, to help support one another. And coming up with, um, I mean, we've, we've been doing more and more clinics that actually have exam rooms that are dual-sided exam rooms. So one side of the exam room is the patient hallway, like the traditional you know, access point of patients. And the other side of the exam room is where the provider and care team access that exam room. Um, so that it gets the care team a little more isolated, but but really isolated in a meaningful way so they can collaborate, but then gives, um, you know, kind of an easy way for them to access those exam rooms. That's Kristen Dufek talking about the role that design can play in a medical practice. We'll hear more from Kristen in just a moment, but first, a word from our sponsor, It's all about you this fall. Accelerate your path to medical practice leadership. Be empowering, be influential, be exceptional, be a leader. Join us in San Diego, October 24th through the 27th at the Medical Practice Excellence Leaders Conference. Or join us for our digital experience, November 16th through the 18th. Visit MGMA dot com slash mpe21 and register today our guest today is kristen dufek president of eua a leading architecture interior design and master planning firm located in milwaukee kristen's here today to talk about designing for patient access to improve the care experience Kristen, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Daniel. Glad to be here. Now, first, give us uh, an idea of your background, where you've come from in healthcare and where you're focused. Sure. No, happy to do so. Um, so I am an architect, and I'm an architect that has spent the bulk of a 25-year career exclusively in healthcare architecture. Um, fortunately for me, I have... I, I have an undergraduate degree in pre-med and biochemistry and used to work in a hospital. So I feel like I'm kind of building, you know, the architecture with a lot of understanding, um, you know, of what it's like to be inside of the walls of a hospital and healthcare system and, and how architecture really can matter for people. So that's, that's my background. And, and I think, you know, today and, and through my career present day, I, um, 
I'm the president, well, I, today was announced as the president of our firm, so um, I will uh, be the president, but I've been the vice president of our firm for the last seven years and run some day-to-day -day operations and understand uh, certainly our 30-person healthcare team in that regard. That is really exciting. Congratulations and uh, looking forward to see what you do as you uh, assume this new role. That is really exciting. Thank you. Um, I wanted to talk to you about something else here. So you are going to be speaking at our upcoming MGMA's Leaders Conference. That's going to be in October in San Diego. It's going to be nice to be in San Diego in October. And uh, we're, you know, you and I are both from uh, a little bit cooler climate. So that'll be nice to have that exchange there. But um, you will be speaking there. Give our listeners an idea of what you'll be speaking on and maybe a main takeaway they can expect to take away from that uh, session of yours? Sure, I know, happy to do so. I, I want to make sure that, um, you know, kind of the audience at, at this event will understand how they can activate in their day-to-day -day within health systems, um, can activate their strategy and do that in an effective manner. And so my goal is to prepare the group with some tools that they can use to help with their decision-making process. Certainly not to equip them to all be architects, but I think give them an idea of like how, of how some of the ideas and concepts um, for driving efficiency within their own practices um, and understanding kind of their shift in strategy, especially in the last year and a half, um, ways in which the facility can respond accordingly um, to help them deliver care. So there are a lot of changes in this landscape and it's, um, it's an exciting time to be you know, affiliated with, with healthcare in general. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping to share a lot and really to make it be conversational. So I'm, I'd welcome input um, all the way through if there are questions during it. So. Right. You mentioned that, you know, practice leaders, they don't need to be architects, of course, but what do they need to know uh, to, to be dangerous, you know, in that regard? What, what is it that they need to know to understand space, design, anything else related to that in their practice? Sure, I mean, I, I think probably what, what they need to know is um, an understanding that um, strategic decisions can, can have facility implications and that can, um, you know, architects and designers can help support decision-making, whether it's locations in which to practice or making revisions to an existing, you know, real estate approach that they, that they might already have in their portfolio or, or looking to have in their portfolio um, and how, how architecture can support the, the care delivery process. And um, also I, I want to talk and I will talk a little bit during this presentation about shifting demographics and what that, what that means for the translation on space and space expectations perhaps of their patient populations. Um, and how, how really architecture can help support it all. Mm -hmm. When you talked about demographics, what do you mean by that? Is it the aging population or just the different generations and cohorts that we have? What are you getting at there? Yeah, it's really, I mean, it's a fascinating study, of course. I mean, we've been talking about demographics for a hundred years and haven't, haven't seemed to totally crack the, the, the silver, I would say the silver bullet that solves all, but I would say understanding that there are different expectations um, for younger generations than there maybe are for my own generation or generations older. 
um, technology certainly plays, that's the kind of the top of the list that plays into it. But um, when someone comes to seek healthcare, they're making that decision based on their box of life. And sometimes that is, you know, a consumer-based decision that's rooted in finances. Sometimes that's a, a consumer-based decision based on loyalty to a provider or loyalty to a system. Um, and sometimes it can be pretty arbitrary about like, oh, I see that building when I drive to work in the morning or that's in my neighborhood, I'm gonna go there first. Um, so it's, it's really important to understand that because that always in on the revenue stream, the decision-making process of, of who is utilizing healthcare services and how they're mm -hmm. making those decisions. Okay, so let's talk about design then specifically in practices. I think about my own experiences um, at times, you know, over my lifetime of going to doctor's offices, sometimes there was a somewhat cold, sterile environment. I've seen little touches being made. I know that um, when I'm, <laughs> I can't help but laugh at this, but when I've gone to the dentist and they, you know, pull the chair back where you're just basically horizontal and I'm staring at the ceiling as they're about to just drill into my teeth there's he's got little notes up there like keep on smiling or hang in there or, you know different little things like that but um i've also noticed that there is there are touches being made there are touches to to make it less i guess for lack of a better term cold or sterile um beyond that though during COVID 19 we saw dramatic shifts. So I want you to tell us a little bit about design, maybe some of the designs that you were already looking at pre-COVID. And then as we fast forwarded and everything just kind of happened overnight with telehealth, with now hybrid type practices where they're doing the in-person and the telehealth, how that shifted since then. Now, I know that's a lot to unpack. So please just uh, give us some ideas there about design and, and what you're working on. Sure, happy, happy to do so. Um, I'll maybe preface it by stating that at the very beginning of the pandemic, I had a friend share with me, um, she's more seasoned in her own profession, but she said, uh, Kristen, don't waste a good crisis. Use this, this is, you know, this is gonna be messy. Use it yeah. as a way to learn about your organization and, you know, kind of what skills need to be sharpened in, your, in yourself and, and with your teammates. And I, I've translated that into my work with healthcare, the healthcare service, organizations that we we work with um, and helping them understand how they can come out of this stronger and better and real really more responsive um, to maybe some of the things that were forced upon us all a year and a half ago so some of the some of the key things I mean there's a ton of disruptors in healthcare mm -hmm. industry and there have been I mean whether it's the retail the retail revolution that began probably 10 years ago with some of you know the pharmacy partners or um, you know, Walgreens or CVS or, or telemed, um, but coming up, the, some of the disruptors of this pandemic have been the idea of um, standing up telehealth and, you know, making 10 years of advances in telehealth in a very quick amount of time and getting patients to understand that it's okay and it's effective, actually, in some regard, on occasion to call your physician and have the conversation virtually instead of it doesn't always have to happen in the exam room. Um, for every for every instance, I think that patients have become perhaps a little bit more savvy through this on the idea of self triage, so they can assess themselves, you know, their 
maybe better or more astute at assessing themselves and being more educated on when they need to seek what kind of care? Um, is that something that needs, you know, an urgent care situation or can I wait and call my primary and, and, and how does that look? And I think it's resulted in, you know, obviously different financial modeling for, for health practices um, because they're seeing a different kind of, can be seeing a little somewhat different patient population. And I think the idea of virtual healthcare, I mean, that's going back to that, it's, it's here to stay. I don't know that that's going to go away. Um, it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge that's inevitable to our industry, um, mm -hmm. but I don't think we should fear it. I think we should embrace it and understand what that means for the next chapter of, of the practices and what services are provided. Mm -hmm. When you're thinking about designing space, what are you looking at? Are you... Um... I guess what I should say is, how much does it change depending on the specialty? How much does it get influenced by, are you doing any patient outreach as well? I mean, where are you kind of accumulating information to go, this is, this is the right way to put this together where it's gonna be good for both the provider and for the patients? Uh, that's a great question. I, I think that um, different specialties certainly have an influence on facility design. I mean, if you're, a urology practice, your patient population is male and um, maybe more elderly. And so it's a different demographic. Um, but certainly, I mean, there are some basic principles of facility design that, that transcend all. Um, I've seen a, a more interesting adaptation of kind of co-locating specialty services um, to, to kind of bridge that gap. So if it's, um, orthopedics, uh, mixing that with perhaps urology and getting um, some co-location of services that can share imaging that supported or surgery that might support the traditional exam room um, design and, and really finding a way to be efficient, efficient with mm -hmm. the money um, that health us or that help uh, practices want to invest on the real estate side. And maybe it helps kind of with the co-branding of services that hit the right demographic patient population. Mm -hmm. so. One other thing I'm thinking about here is when you've got those uh, workers, all the healthcare workers out of practice, they're doing a lot of perhaps some repetitive uh, functions, things that they're doing over and over again. Is that going into the, des the design so you make it as easy as possible, maybe even reducing steps from one station to the next, or just making it where there's clearance, where they can move back and forth freely and not be basically tripping over each other, anything of those of that nature? Sure, yeah. Um, I would say efficiency has been something, I mean, for my whole career, that's something that we talk about in all the you know, initial planning of anything new and really understanding how to minimize footsteps because nobody's, nobody's treating patients or making money necessarily if they're walking down hallways. Um, but I think there's a, there's really a sliding scale from understanding, you know, what, what, where, what care happens at the bedside and how, and how that might take away from team interaction. So mm -hmm. we try to optimize where patients and providers interact um, as, as one way, and then also understand how uh, providers interact as a team themselves um, to help support one another. And coming up with, um, I mean, we've, we've been doing more and more clinics that actually have exam rooms that are dual-sided exam rooms. So one side of the exam room is the patient hallway, 
like the traditional, you know, access point of patients. And the other side of the exam room is where the provider and care team access that exam room. Um, so that it gets the care team a little more isolated, but, but really isolated in a meaningful way so they can collaborate, but then gives, um, you know, kind of an easy way for them to access those exam rooms. So coming up with that, mm -hmm. um, we call it on stage, off stage. You can um, in some, but I would say also understanding a pandemic response and what the last year and a half has um, made us think about in a different way with, um, you know, kind of separation of people and making sure that there's um, access for mobility impaired, but but also support, but separation for kind of airflow. Yeah, so it's been an interesting. It's interesting. Oh, sorry to interrupt, but it's been, no, it's no. been an interesting time to be an architect. <laughs> well, it has because that's you were getting at something that I wanted to talk to you about that we've heard frequently since COVID-19 hit. More than ever before, we're hearing we want to keep the um, people who are well, who are there for a wellness check in an area and people who are already infected with whatever it might be, they might be in a, in a different section there. So that really shifts design was that going on before COVID and it just didn't get talked about a lot give us an idea of what's the evolution of that oh sure I mean it I would say in some regards it's been going on forever I mean we in our own office here we talk about longer stay longer walk so if you are you know getting something that's going to be a four-hour you know treatment or you know diagnostic process you're going to be in the kind of back um, but if you're just there for a quick hit you're going to be quite a up at the front. Um, but I, I think the idea of exam room, or I'm sorry, the idea of waiting rooms that support mm -hmm. large, large scale practices, for years and years, we've been trying to shrink those to as small as possible. If somebody's waiting, that means that, you know, there's not good throughput in the clinic and operationally we want good throughput. Um, but now with this pandemic, we're those exam, those waiting rooms were like, oh, well, we can't, it can't be too small. People have to be separated by six feet. And we have to right. So it's a little bit of like, wait a minute, this is the opposite of what we've been talking about for so many years. Um, but I mean, I, I, ideally, it's it's getting understanding access for patients, and that's really what I'll, I plan to talk about at the conference in October mm -hmm. is understanding how each patient population makes decisions and access healthcare, and then be able to be a provider and a provider-based practice that is very responsive and nimble to that. Okay. I just know, I, I may be just speaking uh, <laughs> from my own uh, insecurities here, but when I'm on a wellness check and somebody's hacking, coughing, or sneezing, I'm, I'm looking for a hyperbaric chamber or something. I guess that's not <laughs> cost efficient to have each, each of us have our own little pod there though, right? <laughs> well, it's not, but I think there are, I think it's a, in my mind, it's, it's design and operations working in tandem to have kind of a well thought through both process and and facility you know response so if you have a lot of people in a waiting room there's probably something we want to look at on your operational side so to get to you know maybe understand how those exams get scheduled and see how we can minimize the amount of people in the waiting room and only leave that reserve that time where you're next to the you know, petri dish incubator person. <laughs> keep that, <laughs> keep that to a minimum if at all possible. So, right. Yes, agreed. Okay. Um, talk about design from the perspective of patient experience. And I touched on it a little bit from my own experience of moving through uh, practices. I've even noticed some really nice changes just in the last year as I've gone back and had a couple of checkups and things. 
Um, what are you looking at from that patient experience? What do you want mm -hmm. the patient to get out of that when you're designing uh, the space? Sure. Um, I, I mean, I think first and foremost, design can be a reflection of your brand and your brand. I mean, ultimately your brand is the care that gets that gets delivered within your facility. So it's your providers um, and the way your patients are touched kind of, you know, hand in hand in, in seeking their care. But the design can help support that and help reinforce that. So if you have, you know, space that is streamlined and straightforward and efficient, that reflects how you run your practice. If it's clean, if it's, um, you know, calming, so having, you know, some color or some views to nature, or like finding respite zones within it, I think that that can also support that, hey, this is a practice that you know, really has things figured out and they know what they're doing and they're they're in control of my care because I feel calm when I'm here. Um, some of the, you know, practices that might need a little more uh, architectural support, I'll call it, um, would be ones that just, that have a layout that doesn't support that and has a layout that maybe trans transcribes itself a little more to kind of chaos or um, the feeling of chaos to their patients. Um, so I think our goal always is a layout that allows people to kind of um, seek their care in an efficient, calming, um, clean and durable manner. And that's relevant. That's relevant design to us. And that's relevant design for healthcare. For you, do you get down to the level of furniture or even um, like you were saying, color schemes earlier? What, where do you where do you go to and where's the line where you stop? I mean, I, help me understand that. Or do you work in conjunction with the owners or the providers to help, you know, whether it be furniture, whether it's the furniture in the waiting room or it's the, what they need in the actual, uh, you know, rooms where you get the checkups and that sort of thing. Sure. Yeah. I mean, ultimately I think the most effective interior environments um, and cohesive environments are ones in which, you know, we play a hand in the whole thing, start to finish. And that that allows us to kind of translate the, the objectives and the vision that, that people have for the, the practice all the way through. So it's selection of furniture, selection of artwork. Um, and we, we do, we have talent that helps support all of that all the way through. Um, there might be a practice that is interested in reusing uh, furniture from, you know, a different a, a different clinic that they might have and we we also can work with that and kind of build but it's it's helpful to understand all of those moving parts and pieces so we can optimize it and you know make it and make it the best environment that it can be mm -hmm. do you have examples of a practice you've worked with where it's had a great outcome for both the providers and the patients and if, if so give us some details on that and where you've had the feedback loop so you understand and you've heard the feedback that it is working. Sure, yeah, we, um, we are pretty diligent as a team about seeking post-occupancy evaluation. So seeking the feedback once the clinic's in operation and understanding what we can learn from it and also what can they learn from it um, that might be different than how we set out to design it. And I think that's an important part of, of education all around. I, I'm thinking when you said a successful um, example, there's one that comes to mind that was um, mul multiple clinic locations of a, of a certain specialty. I'm gonna keep them anonymous, but um, 
they, they had four different clinic locations and they combined, this was a project that was completed about two years ago, they combined into one centralized location, which was um, a little more visible from major, major thoroughfares for, for the geography they were in. So they could be seen and it could be a, a brand, kind of a branding opportunity for them too. Um, but co-locating four different practices that are used to kind of working, you know, a little bit more separate from one another was was a challenge. I would say initially just to help to help that group navigate it. But it ended up being a wild success in terms of of gaining consensus around a design that allowed each you know to feel like they had authorship in it, but not have it be owned by any one of the four. Um, and they ended up, I mean, just being a magical team to work with and um, created an environment that looked nothing like the four that they were departing. Um, but it sets them, I would say it sets this practice up for kind of a very, in my mind and in their mind too, a very successful future. And that to me is, that's the whole purpose why we do what we do is um, to make sure that we're leaving kind of leaving, you know, patients and caregivers kind of elevating the way that they can uh, deliver care. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that it set up a successful future for them. Uh, let's stick with this future theme then. So if you were to take a crystal ball and start thinking about future of healthcare design, I know that's difficult to do right now when we just think about what we just went through and how much design has changed and um, in some ways been forced upon us, but in some ways it's you know really brought us into a good space now where we can uh, be cognizant of what the patients need and helpful to the providers um, and those healthcare workers. So that as we've been talking about, so they can move around efficiently and effectively within the practice. And it, it's probably helped you with space design as well. Do, do we shrink some space? Where are we wasting some space in some places? So it's helped you there. So when you think about all of that, what does healthcare design look like um, five years from now? What, what changes can we expect? Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna. My response to you, Daniel, is gonna be a little bit tongue in cheek, but I, I think the best facilities are the ones that lend themselves to flexibility. Okay. Um, and sometimes when we set out to design something with the kind of future flexibility in mind, it means that we're making things a little bit bigger than they might need to be, or a little bit, you know, a little bit more robust on the infrastructure standpoint, just so that it can be equipped to handle. Um, you know, a consult room becomes an exam room. Oh, great. Well, we've made it big enough as a consult room, so it can now be an exam room. Um, and coming up with those things. So I would say my crystal ball always has the word flexibility in it because I think that's so important. Um, but I, the idea of, you know, what the last year taught us, like I said, we're not wasting a good crisis. We're going to learn from this, um, is, is the idea of, of understanding that technology is here to stay and embracing, I mean, I, we think about the influence of technology all the time, although that changes so fast and it's hard to build something around it, understanding that there's going to be different ways to practice and there's gonna be different ways to touch your patients um, and reach your patients. And how can we make a facility that allows that to kind of slide in in an unobtrusive manner and really be there to support? Um, so that's ultimately, I think the goal is just to make a facility that lives and breathes as, as the physician practices live and breathe. Mm hmm. I want to switch gears a little bit now and go a little bit to the marketing side. Um, and it, it really deals with brand loyalty. Um, that's something that's come up. We've had some 
educational programs at MGMA on marketing and um, some marketing experts have walked us through a lot of, a lot about when you think about brand loyalty at a practice um, it's what's on the website. Cause that's, you know, well, that's where it gets started. You know, you go out there and you start reading uh, comments. And so you hear some negative comments, you hear some good comments, but you hear when there are good comments, you certainly hear what people are responding to the way they were cared for, the way um, the provider listened to them. They weren't just another numbers, just one more person coming through um, on that given day, but someone that they really took time to talk to and listen to. Those are all aspects of it. But from the environmental aspect of it, what role does that play um, in brand loyalty of a patient going, wow, I had a good experience here. I, I want to come back. Have you heard anything on that front? Tell us about that. Sure. I mean, I, would, I wouldn't say that I've necessarily heard anything on that front, but I think it is something that we always think about. Um, and I think we feel like our role is to reinforce a brand um, and find the right way to reflect that brand in the architecture and in the design. Mm -hmm. And really, as I said it kind of a little bit ago, and this, this was the care, the care being provided in the space is really your core of your brand identity. Um, but understanding that there are, you know, young patients that might be looking and anticipating different amenities than older patients with chronic conditions who are, you know, going there for a different reason. They're not going because the space looks cool or it's, you know, easy to the close to the home. Those with, you know, an older demographic that might have more chronic conditions are going there because the provider and that provider knows them and they know their health history and they know kind of all they've they've been tried and true together. Um, so that's a different kind of loyalty. And I think the idea is you don't have to um, necessarily repeat your, you know, your history with that person, but you have to find a way to um, have them feel comfortable and have them feel comfortable can mean a lot in, in terms of architecture and, and layout and efficiency of, of patient care. Mm -hmm. Earlier you were talking about, um the rise in, in retail uh, providers. Uh, we've got the virtual options now. Um, how does that, how do you continue to support staff and patients through these designs? And what I'm getting at is, um, I mean, I got vaccinated a while back and it was at one of the pharmacies. It was set up as a, you know, a clinic within the pharmacy, but it was a little bit different experience than I would think of if I'm going to, a hospital or, or somewhere else or a, a bigger health system um, as well. So do you take all of that in con into consideration? And I guess what I mean is, are, are you influenced at all by retail design? I mean, what are you to fit all of this together? How do you make all of that work? Yeah, it, it's certainly interesting. I would say when I mentioned Walgreens, CVS or Best Buy even, mm -hmm. um, finding, you know, a streamlined way to deliver healthcare um, for certain services, right? Not everything. You wouldn't go there for open heart surgery to Walgreens, but you would, you can get, you know, you can get some basic sure. things and that's been, yeah, that's been a really good thing. I think the, um, the other part of kind of the retail disruptors really is Google or Amazon or Apple and how patients have access 
to you know a healthcare space in a different way. So I can look at my Apple Watch and I can look at my heart rate and then I can take that information and talk to my provider about my resting heart rate is this, is that what is that where it should be? And it just, it provides a different level of education of patients. So, so I would say I, I, we're, we're thinking and we, we keep feeling that these disruptors to healthcare although it, it changes the world on a regular basis, it's probably a good thing in terms of allowing providers to you know, work at the top of their license and also allow savvy consumers who can take more control of their healthcare. Um, so it's all in all, I mean, the, the challenge of it is finding the right design that allows the flexibility um, for, for that space to be continued to be used um, in a meaningful way and not mm -hmm. waste real estate. So I want to go back to something we talked about earlier. We were talking about different specialties. So what are the specific design considerations that you're taking into consideration there when creating a comprehensive facility? It may house many different specialties within it. What, what do you have to do? What are you looking at there to um, be helpful, be efficient for all of those different types of practices? Sure. No, I, I would say that that's the ultimate Jenga puzzle that our team loves to solve. And we love to solve it because it, it allows us to um, kind of work as, as investigators. And we want to make sure that we're understanding kind of, I wouldn't call it the least common denominator, maybe the greatest common numerator, <laughs> um, so that we can, we can design, you know, the right multi-purpose um, place. And then also giving, you know, so if an exam room is, is, laid out a certain way for primary care. It's certainly gonna be vastly different from what the, that exam room needs to be for a, a high level specialty service on the outpatient side. And I think um, we wanna understand kind of where that middle ground is that can function for both and allow those, allow the patients that are seen there to plug into the right level of support services. So if there's, you know, kind of imaging support or lab support or pharmacy support, and that can be provided. Our goal is to always lay that space out so that all of those services can kind of connect to one another, but give, give the, you know, kind of co-location of um, access points for patients in a very, a very easy, straightforward um, way that's efficient. Okay. So you have touched on a lot of aspects of design today want to give you a chance to offer any final thoughts on that. What's a main takeaway you would want a practice to be thinking about if they are looking at redesigning? As we've talked about, there's a lot that's been going on because of the pandemic. There were things going on even before that, that maybe people res were resistant to just maybe because of cost or whatever reasons might that might be. So what's, what's a final thought, a final takeaway you'd want to provide us with today? Yeah, I, I mean, I always find it most helpful with our longer term clients. Um, they're very candid and open with us about their, their organization strategy. And that allows us to, you know, really bring different ideas to the table if we know what their end game is. And um, I think if we, if I give any takeaway, it's be brutally honest about what you're trying to accomplish when you're working with a design team, um, because then we can help really understand how your reimbursements of services can be done in a different level of care facility or what kind of infrastructure you might need if your end game looks, you know, to be going shifting more acute. We might suggest, you know, different HVAC or plumbing system to go into that building. 
um, we can allow, we can, with all the information, um, we can be far more effective and, um, you know, bring more value to you really. So, and also don't, uh, don't be afraid of a few new ideas. I think this is, this is an exciting time in healthcare and that's, I mean, I've loved it from the beginning, but I love it even more now because um, things are changing very fast. And I would, I caution our clients too on occasion to not react too quickly to things, but have their mind open to the changing landscape and how they can really make a, a bold strategic move at the right time in a meaningful way. Okay. I said that was the last question and I, I, am, <laughs> I have one more because you just said something that interested me. You're talking about it is an exciting time in healthcare for design. What are you most excited about? What is most exciting to you about design, the things you're putting together in healthcare today? Yeah, I mean, for me, I've always personally been passionate about the um, life happens within healthcare. So I, I love that it, you know, touches newborn babies all the way to elderly. I love that, you know, there's this whole staff dynamic of a team that works together to solve really complex problems, um, some of which might not be, you know, seen on the surface, but they have to dig deep and giving, letting architecture be the space that allows that to happen. Um, both for patient care and, and as a very high functioning team. So I'm most excited to, I would say, continue to push our clients to, to see the, the possibilities and see what the potential is for their own teams and the future landscape of healthcare. And, and our, I don't know, the team I work with, I think is, is super responsive at understanding that there are some really probing questions that we need to ask in order to, to resolve and design the right, the right space for our clients. Okay. Well, Kristen, it's been great talking to you. I can't wait to meet you in San Diego and uh, sit in on your session, learn more about space design in the healthcare space. So thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Daniel. I appreciate it. See you in San Diego. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Kristen Dufek. Also, Thanks to MGMA Leaders Conference for sponsoring this week's show. Accelerate your path to medical practice leadership and join us in San Diego, October 24th through the 27th at the Medical Practice Excellence Leaders Conference. Or join us for our digital experience, November 16th through the 18th. Visit mgma.com slash MPE 21 and register today. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com or find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com membership. Thanks. The popular buzzword we've been seeing everywhere is AI. But what we all want to know is how we can implement and use it to our advantage. 
when it comes to improving margins, accelerating cash flow, and optimizing staff performance, there's a one-stop shop using cloud-based predictive analytics. MGMA Analytics is your AI-enabled tool that upscales technology you've already been paying for, so you can silo your disparate systems and make data-backed business decisions. Visit mgma.com slash analytics and see how AI can revolutionize your finances and operations. Again, visit mgma.com slash analytics today.